I mentioned before we sat, I think, yeah, I, went, I did. I mentioned that I wanted to talk about the distortions of the mind. And I was inspired by Ruth King, who taught at Meditation Coalition's BIPOC and Allies on Sunday. And she was talking about, you know, all the, the, the hatred and the racism and the violence in our world and what's going on and um, the, the violence right now against the Asian American and Pacific Islanders. And, and she mentioned also the Vipalasa Sutta, which I hadn't thought about in a while, and I can't even remember the last time I read it, but it's a sutta about ignorance. Um, and how we don't see the world clearly. And it really points to, I think it's a really helpful way to understand how we get caught up in these patterns of thinking that are uh, harmful to ourselves, to others, and how it, it points to you know, mass ignorance. Um, cultural ignorance, uh, societal ignorance. It's it's really, I think, a helpful sutta. So I wanted to 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 talk about that this evening. Um, and it, and it talks about it, you know the, these cycles of ignorance are what keep us stuck in in Buddhist terms, the cycles of birth and death and rebirth and death, samsara, suffering, continuing to be stuck in this creation of suffering and, and oblivious to it sometimes, seeing how we're, we're doing it ourselves. Um, and, you know, we all see things differently, obviously, because we're different people. We come from different places, different, different families, different societies. We have different perspectives on things. But the invitation practice is this invitation to see reality as clearly as possible to recognize that we have these little um, biases that kind of push us into thinking things are one way or the other but to truly make the effort to uh, see what's really going on and to do this by eliminating or being aware of as many of these distortions as we can that's that's the invitation and i and i love you know this is one more example of the buddhist teachings you know he basically teaches the nature of suffering and the end of suffering but there are these thousands of ways to look at it that are different tools to help us see things you know from different perspectives because um, what they talk about the, the all the different Dharma doors, we come in differently. What what makes sense to me may not make sense to you, and vice versa. And so to present these different ways of really allowing the scriptures to be or the suttas to be alive for us and meaningful and useful in our in our lives today. They're not just these dusty books that sit on a shelf and you take them down and say that's nice and then you put them back. They're really a way to move through the world to end suffering, to be at ease and gain some freedom and some liberation. So I'm going to, I'm going to read the sutta. It's incredibly short. Uh, so not to worry about that. And so, um, and, and I'm, as I read it, I'm going to, there's a, a whole bunch of different translations of this word distortion. The word is vipalasa, but it's translated um, distortion, perversion, fabrication, hallucination so you get the sense that it's like not seeing things clearly and I am reminded of like um, when I when I uh, um, 
when I talked about the hindrances a few weeks ago in that teaching, the Buddha says the each of the hindrances are like a glass of a cup of clear water that maybe has dye in it, so we don't see things clearly, or the water's boiling, so we don't see things, or the water's got algae in it, or mud, and so there's this distortion of how we, we can't see through the water clearly, and so it's the same idea, we're just dust in our eyes, as, as is also said, so there's a couple of different translations of this sutta, so I'm going to and go through it and then throw a couple other ways of, of translating. Sometimes these translations can be so awkward and you're like, what? What do you mean? Anyway, so these four, O oh monks, are distortions of perception, distortions of thought or distortions of mind, and distortions of view. So there are four things that distort our, our perception, our minds, and our views. And they are sensing no change in the changing, um, sensing pleasure and suffering, assuming self where there is no self, and sensing the unlovely as, un as lovely. Gone astray with wrong views, beings misperceive with distorted minds or go mad out of their minds. Bound in the bondage of Mara, th those people are far from safety. They are beings that go on flowing, going again from death to birth. Again, this stuck in this cycle of samsara over and over and over again. Um, but when the world, but when in the world of darkness, Buddhas arise to make things bright, they present this profound teaching. They proclaim the Dharma, which brings suffering to an end. When those with wisdom have heard this, when they've heard this teaching, they recuperate their right mind or they regain their senses. They see change in what is changing, meaning they understand the idea of impermanence. They see suffering where there is suffering, understanding that there is pain and suffering in this world. They understand dukkha. Um, they see not self in what is without self, this no, this no fixed sense that we're all causes and conditions. Um, one thing leads to another, leads to another. And they see the unlovely as such. By this acceptance of right view, they overcome all suffering. So this is a teaching on right view and what gets in the way, what clouds our view, what clouds our perceptions. So it's not saying that we are flawed or that our mind is flawed, but we're just not seeing things clearly. We've got some, some stuff in the way, some, some ideas that we've been taught, some preconceived notions, some, some, something that says this is the way it is. And so what I want to do is just talk a little bit about these three kinds of distortion, as it said in the, in the, in the, in the sutta, there's distortion of perception, distortion of mind, and distortion of view. And like with so many other of the teachings, they build on each other. It's like one and leads to the next and leads to the next, and then they support each other and you become solidified or, or um, you know, this, this, this tough hole that needs to be um, broken up or, or chopped up. So... Um, the distortion of perception is really the basic one. It's this, the, we mistake the things that come through our senses. 
And in, in Buddhism, their senses are the five senses we're used to, sight, sound, taste, touch, feeling, and thought. Thought is considered a sense. So you can have a thought, which then leads to, you know, moving in this, this particular direction. And so it happens all the time, this misperception. We don't see things clearly. I was talking to some friends last night. And we're t- I don't remember who was saying what, but somebody is her or her partner is hard of hearing. And so he hears things differently from what she, she says one thing and he hears something else. I call it creative listening. But it can, if you, do, if you don't hear it correctly, you can go off in a whole different world. And you can, you can just move through the world thinking things are different from what they are. You see things differently, you hear something different, you think something, you, you read something somewhere, and then that becomes, you know, a, a thing in your head. Um, there's that, what, what this reminded me of is that, um, that old story of the five, uh, the five people who are blindfolded and then presented with an elephant, and they're each taken to a different part of the elephant. One of them feels the trunk, one of them feels a leg, one of them feels the tail, one of them feels an ear, one of them feels the, 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 the body. So there's, if you imagine what an elephant looks like and you feel each of those individual parts and then you ask these people, tell me what an elephant is like, you're going to get five completely different stories. You're going to get five totally different ideas and they could have fistfights over it. You know, this, it's, it's, so it's, it's this recognition that our, our perception, what we receive through our senses is not always true. It's not always um, the truth, capital T. We have to really be present. We have to really be, um, pay attention and investigate. Um, sometimes, but but it's the mind really likes to create shortcuts. It, it's 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 how the mind functions, and it's like it sees a piece of something or hears a piece of something, and then moves into something else. And this can cause a lot of pain. Um, I I remember when I was a teenager, super sensitive teenager, walk getting onto a bus because I grew up in New York, so I took the bus and getting getting onto the bus and hearing people laughing and knowing, knowing they were laughing at me. You know, a little self-obsessed, but just really sensitive and 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 feeling, ugh. And then that's how it's off the chain reaction. Or, um, uh, you know, if, you, if you're passing by someone on the street and they, they, someone, a friend of yours or someone you know, and they totally ignore you, that's like the thought comes into your mind. Who the hell? What? 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 Or somebody doesn't return your call. We can take it in and create a story around it, which then becomes that second distortion, which is the distortion of thought, which is moving into rumination or we create these elaborate stories. There's the word I love, papancha, this proliferation of thought. This initial seed of the misinterpretation of the sense experience takes us down this path. Like, I hear someone laughing, that means I am being laughed at. 
that sets up this uncomfortable feeling in my gut. You know, one more time on the I'm on the outside. One more time, I, I, people don't like me. And then I'm never going to take this bus again, whatever that is. Um, uh, and, and, and I also am reminded of addiction because this is addiction is really so much of uh, misperception. You know, this idea that, oh, this thing, the idea, this thing will fix it. This going back to the sense idea of like, oh, this drink will fix it. This, 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 this hookup will fix it. This, um, this um, purchase on Amazon will fix it. I see something that will take care of it. And then moving into the thought about it, it's like, yeah, that's it. You know, we go back to that first distortion and it's like, yeah, that'll do it. And we start, you know, playing that thought over and over and over again, which leads to the third distortion of you. These patterns of thought solidify into views, into how we see the world. So it's no longer just a single experience, a sensory experience. It then becomes a pattern of thought, which becomes a solid view. And then they become entrenched. You know, and I was thinking about this. Um, again, it's the, uh, the addiction. We no longer think about it. We just do it. It's like something uncomfortable. I have an uncomfortable feeling. I go to this fix that I've created, this shopping, this drug, this, this whatever it is to take care of it. I was thinking about this around um, uh, uh, Nazi Germany because it's not just personal. This is, this is what has impacts on societies. These views get expanded out to bigger picture. I was... There's a woman on The Daily Show the other night with Trevor Noah. She was in her 90s. Um, I can't remember her name, but she was in the Dutch resistance. And uh, she ended up in a concentration camp, um, but was liberated at the end of the war. And she was talking about, I guess she's almost 100. And so she was a teenager um, in the 30s in, in the Netherlands. And she said, you know, the, the Netherlands was neutral during World War One, and they assumed they would be neutral during World War Two. And she was Jewish. And she said, we weren't religious. And I had friends of everybody. And we were just like, I was just one of the kids. And my family was just one of the, the families until this, this, this propaganda starts coming in. And this you see these these posters saying Jews are, are not human. And these whole things these stories are painted and instead of recognizing it and going no wait a minute that's not right it's just absorbing it so the sensory experience becomes the distortion of thought which becomes the distortion of view and when we have this distortion of view which is based on the othering of people it's really easy to to be dismissive to to do horrible things to really do horrible things. And that that pattern repeats itself over and over and has been repeating itself for thousands and thousands of years. And we're still in the middle of that. I mean, you know, just with with this 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 pandemic and, and the violence against Asian American Pacific Islanders over the quote unquote Chinese flu. 
and just the little things and the conspiracy theories that pop up with just a little, if they don't, you don't absorb them full blown. You absorb them little by little. It's because we're not paying attention. People don't pay attention. It starts with that misperception of sense. Um, and so we have to really be willing to pay attention. And this shit is not comfortable. I mean, we have to really move into a, a place of, what was I thinking about, spiritual bypass, this, um, I want to talk about, yeah, we have to, um, um, we move into this place of, of spiritual bypass, of not really, um, um, of kind of maybe sometimes using the teachings and saying, well, well, let me let me step back from that. I'll, I'll get back to that spiritual bypass. But what I want to do, come back to now or come to now is this other part of this sutta, which is there's so there's there's three distortions of perception and um, these four types, these four things that influence the, the perceptions that are distorted. So this sensing no change in the changing, not believing in permanence. So we get um, hooked into thinking that something will save us forever. This pleasant thing, this is, this is a root of addiction also. If we, if we get this thing, we will feel better all the time. Or if we get rid of these folks over here, then we'll live happily ever after. Or whatever the story is thinking that something impermanent can give us a permanent um, a permanent world of happiness or joy. We'll live happily ever after. So ignoring impermanence, that's a root of suffering. That's absolutely a root of suffering. Um, seeing, um, sensing pleasure in suffering, ignoring suffering. Ignoring the reality that there is unpleasantness in this world. There is pain. There is grief. That's where we kind of get into the spiritual bypass. You know, when people say, um, the, this, this, you know, spiritual, spiritual bypassing is using spiritual teachings to deny your feelings, basically, to not deal with reality. And this, that's, that's a way to prolong suffering because what happens is if you have a loss in your life, let's say uh, someone you care about deeply dies, there's some, dis there's some pain. There's absolutely pain, the separation from someone you love. And the teaching is um, everything is impermanent. And you go, well, everything's impermanent. Got to let it go. That's that spiritual bypassing and saying, instead of saying, yes, everything is impermanent, I am aware of that and I'm not going to deny the fact that this is painful and I'm going to, and I'm going to be with it with kindness and compassion. So it's tending to the reality of what's here. When we ignore that, we stuff it down and that baggage doesn't go anywhere. We lug it around with us and and freedom lies in the willingness to unpack that baggage, to open up those old wounds and heal them instead of keep pouring salt on them, instead of saying, no, 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 no. So to recognize there is suffering, there is pain, there is dukkha, the, the, uh, there is this unsatisfactory nature 
to existence. Everything is going to, we're going to lose everything we care about. That's one of the five remembrances. All we have are our actions to recognize. It's not a bad thing. We're not bad people, therefore we're punished. It's just, it's just part of being a, a, a critter on this planet. We're all critters on this planet. And it's part of being a critter on this planet. Um, and then the uh, seeing, assuming self when there is no self, allowing the I to take over, this fixed view of who we are. I am this thing. You know, not, and instead of understanding that we are causes and conditions and we change and we can change and we're going to change. Who, what self are we fighting for? The five-year-old me, the 10-year-old me, the 30-year-old me. I don't want to be any of them. I mean, you know, people go, I wish I were 20 again. I'm like, no, no, I don't want to go back there. I, you know, that I, no, 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 no. I've had a lot of causes and conditions since then that have gotten me to a place that I am much more at ease in my own skin. Lord, save me. I don't want to go back there. Thank you very much. So to recognize that and just say, okay, I, I, am not, um, I am not a fixed thing. There's no little Mary inside of here that's always unchanging. I, there's a constant ebb and flow and the neurons and the, 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 the language I don't know of neuroscience that just comes and goes and shifts and changes. And to be aware of that. And to recognize how impacted we are. And to recognize that we can be, um, you know, we can take birth at any moment as a, a, as a, as a particular um, person. You know, I often use the idea of, of uh, well, the Dalai Lama talks about it. Joseph Goldstein talks about it. The Dalai Lama talked about walking by, I guess, I think a smarter image store. Remember those that had all the gadgets and he's a guy, he likes gadgets. And he was at a conference and walked by the smarter image store every day for a week. And he wanted everything that was in the store. He had no idea what the things did what they were for, but he liked the bright and shiny objects. And so this, 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 he took birth as this person who wanted all these things. If you're not paying attention, you put on, you put on that role. You put on that overcoat. I am, I need, I want this. Instead, to just say, I don't need that. I don't need these things to be okay. I don't need you to think I'm a good teacher to be okay. I don't need anything. I don't need to be seen as cool. I realize there's no such thing as cool. I will never be cool. I never have been cool. It doesn't exist. Thank goodness I don't have that anymore. Um, you know, all these things, if we can let go of these fixed ideas of who we think we need to be or how I need you to see me or how the world has to be in order to have some ease and some joy, there's a tremendous amount of freedom there. And then this last one, I was really thinking about this one. They see the unlovely as unlovely, you know, they see the reality of what's true. And I was thinking about that as far as our country is concerned, this arc. And, and I'm speaking to this. It's just in my in my in my in my uh, uh, neighborhood right now, in my world right now, my my uh, what's up for me is when I was listening, this country has a real problem with amnesia. 
And um, listening to Mitch McConnell the other day saying, oh, 1619 wasn't a big deal. It's 1776 is when, you know, we have this amnesia about the reality of our country and this inability to acknowledge how this country was founded and and the oppression and, and the continuing um, um, marginalization of anybody who's not white and male and rich. I mean, ongoing. It's like, no, 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 we're wonderful people. That's the inability to see the unlovely as unlovely, to call things as they are. That's a tremendous delusion that just continues and continues and continues and continues. It's a justification. What that is, is, is justifying. That's what I came up with the other day when I was thinking about this. We use this, to, we just, well, you know, well, you know, well, you know justify, rationalize. We do it personally, we do it societally, and it and it causes suffering. It's a root of suffering and harm. And it's really important, I think, starting with ourselves to investigate, what does that feel like? What does that look like? Am I doing that here? Am I doing that there? It takes all these qualities that, that, that the Buddha teaches, patience, well, it takes, it takes what's in the Eightfold Path. It takes effort, effort to recognize, be willing to recognize. It takes mindfulness, be willing to pay attention and be with. It takes a commitment to sila, to ethical behavior, not killing, not causing harm, not causing harm with our speech, being fully present, being, being kind, being loving, being generous being accountable. It's it's not stuff that's necessarily easy to do, but once you get into the habit of doing that, you recognize the 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 um the lifting of the load or the lightening of the belly, however you want to put it, the freedom that comes from owning up to reality, to not hiding from reality, not getting into fistfights with reality as I like to say. But to really be open to truth and reopen and committed to this, this, this way of life and recognizing I'm going to fall down and I'm going to make mistakes. And it doesn't mean I'm a bad person because I'm not tied up in that fixed view of being a good person. I'm just a person. We're all just people subject to the, the worldly winds of praise and blame, but trying to, to move through the world with a little bit more balance and equanimity and poise. Um, it's really important. Um, it's really important. So to this recognition that it's so easy to be deluded, to have the mind distorted, caught up in these stories. And, and without checking it, that's where we're going to end up. They can be silly stories. Like my you know, my old story about thinking that it was, you were a better person if you ate fresh corn than frozen corn. I suffered over that. I suffered over that. I thought I I I would shot. You've heard this. Some of you have heard this before. I would not buy frozen corn because I thought you were supposed to eat fresh corn. And I'd go back and forth in the supermarket. What am I going to buy? That was a lot. That was stupid, silly, but it would cause me suffering because I was so worried about what people thought about me in my own head. In my own head, I made all these rules. I just made up rules. Can't do this. Have to do this. Have to behave this way. 
you know, it's like wearing wearing white after Labor Day. That's not allowed. It's like, who made these rules? And when I make when I have a rule that causes me suffering or discomfort or unease, I ask myself the question, who made that rule? And if the answer is Mary, then I really um, it's in my best interest to put that rule aside and say, why am I caught in this box? This this small little pea brain that I am living in instead of knocking that down and opening up into awareness of what is actually here, what's actually present, what's actually going on. I used to think a drink would make it better. Never did. Never did. Never did. Maybe a few times. But after a while, never, never, never. But I kept doing it because I got that idea stuck in my head. Can't be here. Have to be there. This is the way to go. And this practice is an invitation. Be here. What is that? Ram Dass's book. Be here now. And Jack Hornfield said once in his, one of his books, you must be present to win. It's that raffle thing. You must be present to win. You can't be any. There is nowhere else, but we spend a whole bunch of our time somewhere else. So the invitation is this teaching is. Watch out for these distortions. Watch how they show up for you in your life and be willing to let them go. Be willing to say, no, what's really happening? Can I stay put with what's right here? With the disappointment that's here, with the with the sadness, with the grief, with the joy, with all the emotions, with the anger, with the rage, with all of that. Not we're not not supposed to feel these things, but how we hold them is really important. How we respond to them, how we move through the world wisely, held by the precepts, not causing harm to others or ourselves. And I think I can go blather on more and more and more. So with that, I will say thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for your um, for your kind attention. And uh, happy to see if anyone has any questions or comments or thoughts or does this make sense? Does this not make sense? If you don't think you're hurting yourself or others, what would be your incentive to think you're living in a distortion? I, I can only speak from my experience around this and for years, I, I lived in a denial that I was only hurting myself with my, because I am in recovery. I used to, I'm a recovered alcoholic and, and I thought I was only hurting myself, but, and for other things and not just hurting myself, but I, you know, I, I, and for a lot of things, I think for me, the, there's a, a level of discomfort under the surface that I was very good at ignoring, whether it was with not even around um, substance abuse, but a lot of other things um, that I just, you know, this, this fourth one, this not seeing the unpleasant as unpleasant, going, I could be very dismissive 
that's no big deal. You know, the impact that my early life had on me, which was really my early, my growing up years were incredibly chaotic and, and usually impactful on me with, you know, I grew up by myself with a schizophrenic mother who was undiagnosed and untreated. And so that was, um, that caused a lot of havoc, but I would go, no big deal. I'm good. I got this. But at some level, knowing there was an impact, but having an unwillingness to face it and just get pushing it down and pushing it down and pushing it down. And I got more and more uncomfortable. I mean, even in even I just got not even with, um, you know, after after giving up uh, all substances, I was more and more and more uncomfortable. And when I finally started sitting, it just erupted. There was no more hiding because I was I was finally present and I had to face that deep, deep pain that was inside. I had to really well, I had an I didn't have to. I could have run off and done something else. But I finally said, I can't deal. With, this is untenable. And then I went into therapy, too, because I could it's not just it wasn't just about sitting on the cushion, but it was just about dealing with the impact that that had on me because it had a tremendous impact on me and and I didn't have a lot of I, I was very successful in a lot of ways and very unsuccessful in a lot of other ways I, I didn't move through the world wisely or skillfully a lot of ways and I was causing harm to myself and others not a lot I mean I wasn't punching people in the face and stuff but it was small little things that added up and so my incentive was it hurt so damn much. I needed it to not hurt. I didn't have. I, I I ran out of. I ran out of ideas. And I finally, uh, sitting on the cushion, I went fuck. And somebody said, maybe you need to talk to somebody. And I went ah, because I'm the. I got this. I can do it all myself. Leave me alone. Get the hell out of my face. That was me. I'm tough. I'm tough. I'm tough. I'm tough. I grew up in New York City, went to high school in the South Bronx. Go away. Leave me alone. Doesn't work. We are not. We can't be alone. And that is really painful that trying to be an island is so fucking painful. And that's a huge problem We're there's a whole bunch of lonely, lonely people in this world running around causing a lot of harm to themselves and to others. So that's, you know, so. My impetus to, to change was because I hurt so much. And then the more healing I was able to do for myself, the more I was able to turn outward and, and find some compassion for myself and for others and empathy and see this connectedness and, and lose that sense of separateness and isolation. still shows up, but now I go, oh, wait a minute, that's that. And it used to just move in and take over and it was very dark. And now it just kind of moves through and I go, go on through. And a lot of times it passes. It, it may land for a bit, but it doesn't move in and take up residence. And so there's a real shift. And so I don't know if that answers your question, but for me, it's when the discomfort becomes really great that the, the staying in the pain is greater than not doing anything about it. Thanks.
Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystancavage.org backslash support. Thank you.